0: Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Well, good morning. Thank you for continuing to stick with us as we have now transitioning from a time of worship through song to now a time of worship through hearing and obeying God's word. Uh, We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and turn there. Last week, Pastor Sean did a phenomenal job, really encouraging us that our teamwork makes God's dream work and that we all have a part to play in God's design for our lives and even for our city and the brokenness around us. Um, But today we're going to talk about prayer and action, prayer and action. When I first got married, um, Jenny and I had this conversation often about whose job was it? Maybe y'all can relate, all the married folks. In those first couple years, there was a recurring conversation around whose job was it? Oh, I thought you were going to pick that up. Or I thought you were going to take out the trash. I thought you were going to prepare dinner. I thought you were going to do the thing that I thought that you were going to do. And in any relationship, some of us have planned events or barbecues or birthday parties, and we have tried to work with other people. And oftentimes, there comes this conversation about, oh, I thought you were going to do that. Or whose job was it to bring this? And in a weird way, that's the connection between prayer and action. How much of our Christian life is God's sole responsibility and how much of it is on us? What does God bring to the party and what do I need to bring to the party? And even in the brokenness of our world, we see that people are starting to draw sides on many issues, even this issue of prayer and action. There are some who look at our social and political landscape and say prayer is all that we need. We need to be a praying people and only God can restore the church. And there are others who say, no, now is the time to act. God's word is clear. The commands are given. And so now it is our time to leap into action from what word of God has already said. And my aim today is to hopefully resolve that tension for us that there is not a tension between prayer and action, both praying and acting are equal signs of submission to God's work in and through our lives. So whose job is it? That's what we're going to look at today. Would you read with me Nehemiah chapter four, verses one through three. When Sanballat heard they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Would you pray with me now? Father, God, I pray that you would use my mind and my mouth in this moment to accomplish more than I ever can on my own. That I pray, God, right now that you would make your word come alive, challenging us, convicting us, and comforting us. God, we need more than words of mere men this morning. God, we need to hear from you. Speak, Holy Spirit, move. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. To pick up where the story is starting off in Nehemiah chapter 4, The work has begun. Remember Nehemiah chapter one started with Nehemiah hearing about the state of his city, that the walls have been torn down and the people are being despised. And Nehemiah cries out in prayer to the Lord. And God was good and gracious. And God gave him favor with the king and with others and allow him to rebuild the wall. And so up to this point, there has been very little opposition or resistance. As a matter of fact, it's been miracle after miracle, grace after grace. And for the first time, Nehemiah is facing opposition to the work that God called him to. Now... Some of us may not have been able to relate to the first three chapters of Nehemiah, God opening every door, God softening every heart, God giving miracle after miracle, but we can surely relate to this moment right now, us trying to do that, what God calls us to do, trying to live right and and engage brokenness, and we find opposition on all sides. And that's where we pick up the story of Nehemiah. He's doing what God has called him to do, equipped him to do, blessed him to do, and yet he finds some opposition. In verse 1 through 3, we hear the taunts of the powerful people around him. Sambalot says, these pathetic Jews, can they really build this wall? Will they be able to restore our sacrifices? And Tobiah says that the wall is so flimsy, even if a fox were to jump on it and climb, the wall would come tumbling down. You see, they're just talking trash right now. We've all been there. People making snide remarks about our Christianity or about our engagement. But at this point, it's just words. And so how does Nehemiah respond? Verses four and five, it says, "'Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sights because they have angered the builders.'" So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its heights for the people had the will to keep working. So Nehemiah's response to the taunts and the words of those those in opposition was to ignore them and keep working. Well, he prayed for them, then ignored them and kept working. But did you hear his prayer, verses four and five? Make their insults return to their own heads. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased. As a side note, this is absolutely free, not part of the sermon. When we are commanded to pray for those in authority, when we are commanded to pray for those governing authorities, this is in the realm of possibility. Amen. Praying for people doesn't always mean praying for their success. It means praying that God's justice will prevail. God's judgments will fall. And so that's what Nehemiah prays. He says, God, you hear them. You take care of them. I'm going to be about your business but they go from more than talking in just a moment. There's an escalation here, verse seven. Then Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites. You see, you you hear the groups growing right now? They heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed. They became furious. I love this word. If you're from Charleston, you're going to relate to this. The Bible literally says they became hot. They grew hot with anger, Right? Sometimes the best thing y'all could do for people is ignore them. But knowing that, that'll sometimes make people more mad than anything else. And so because Nehemiah ignored them, they grew hot with anger. In verse 8, it says they plotted together to come out and do what? Fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. Verse 11 says, and our enemies said they won't realize it until we are among them and can kill them and stop the work. You see, it went from just words on the sides now physical threats. Some of you grew up in a high school like my high school, and you know, there was fights in the hallway sometimes. You never had to worry about the two guys who were yelling at each other, the two guys who were just in each other's face, just words. Now, they're going to be doing that for 10 minutes. They're hoping somebody would break it up. The guy that you got to be worried about is the guy who don't say nothing. The dude who just walks up like a word, takes his shirt off, and starts walking towards the crowd. That dude came to fight. And the response is a little bit different here. Nehemiah realized that, no, these aren't just words. Sambalot, Tobiah, and the growing course of opposition, they came to fight. So what's Nehemiah's response? We're going to see time and time again this tension between prayer and action. The first time, all Nehemiah did was pray, and his action was continue the work. But see what he does in verse 9. Hearing the threats, he says, so we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. Here's a question I want you to think about. We're going to come back to. He says, he prayed to his God and stationed a guard. Does that mean Nehemiah didn't have faith that God was going to protect him? You see, we're already in the first couple of verses getting into the tension between prayer and action. We know Nehemiah to be a man of faith. He approached King Artaxerxes with fear of death to make a claim to rebuild his city. We know him to be a man of courage and faith depending upon God moment by moment. And so is this a moment of weakness for Nehemiah? In this moment, does he doubt God's protection or is this a sign of faith? to station the guard. Let's come back to that in just a moment. Verse 13. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall and at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Hold on, Nehemiah. Is he calling the people of God to take up arms even after he's prayed to the Lord to be their protector and their shield? What is Nehemiah doing? Let me step back for just a moment. There was a preacher by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Some of you may know the name. He preached in the 1800s, and in the year 1865, he started a newsletter, a weekly newsletter, called the Sword and Trowel. The Sword and Trowel. A trowel is basically a handheld instrument that um, bricklayers would use to spread out concrete to build walls and other things, the very tools that Nehemiah and his people would be using in this moment. You see, over the 30 plus years of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's ministry, he would start over 66 distinct ministries, doing everything from caring for the poor, caring for the widow, and training up men to go into the ministry. And one of the ways that he funded that ministry was through this weekly newsletter. In the very first edition, in the opening line, it says this about the magazine, Spurgeon speaking, he says, Our magazine is intended to report the efforts of those churches and associations which are more or less intimately connected with the Lord's work at the Metropolitan Tabernacle and to advocate those views of doctrine and church under which are most certainly received among us. It will, the magazine, address itself to those faithful friends scattered everywhere who are our well-wishers and supporters in our work of faith and labor of love. You see, part of the reason why Spurgeon wrote this magazine was to let people know how to pray, but also how to act. Pray for this endeavor, but give to this endeavor. This was a huge way that Charles Spurgeon raised money to support his various ministries. And he named the magazine The Sword and Trowel after Nehemiah chapter 4. Because he realized the place of both prayer and action. We pray for God's provision, and yet we ask God's people for theirs, And one does not negate the other, but it is how God answers our prayers. This is the tension, church. There is not a distinction between prayer and action in the Bible. From our prayers, we act. And from our action, we are driven to prayer. Let me make this plain in verses 15 through 22 here. It says, when our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand held and one held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building and the trumpeter beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Whenever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work while half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out, at that time I also said to the people let everyone and his servant spend the night outside Jerusalem so they can stand and so they can stand guard by night, by night and work by day. Does that sound like a man of faith to you? And your in your understanding of what it means to trust in God, does that sound like a man of faith to you? Some of us are struggling because oftentimes we have associated prayer as the shifting of responsibility from us to God. And so our understanding of faith says if we pray for it, we shouldn't work for it. We should wait for it. I think the word of God is challenging that today. Prayer is a sign of faith, but it's a sign of trust. And I think what the word of God is saying is in here is that God answers the prayers of his people through the action of his people. God answers the prayers of his people through the actions of his people. And we know this to be true, don't we? We all have that one friend who is praying for a job but not actually looking for a job. We know that one brother who's praying for a wife but not actually doing anything to get his life ready for someone else to be in it. We know this intuitively to be true, and yet we are challenged with it because that sometimes the problems seem so big that our actions seem so meaningless that all we feel that we are left to do is pray. And at other times, we feel that the action is so urgent and the needs are so immediate that we don't have time to seek God's will or trust God's timing. And so we must rush into action. And so oftentimes in our life, we choose between prayer and action. So the question before us isn't what's the relationship between prayer and action? The question is, what are you praying for that you're not working for? What are you praying for in your life that you are not actively working for to be true in your life? And guess what? The other side is true as well. What are you working for that you're not praying for? What are you busy doing that you're not taking to the Lord in prayer? You see, that's the relationship between prayer and work. One drives us to the other. Is your prayer life struggling this morning? Is your prayer life if you look back on your prayer life is it basically requests for you, you, family, me, job, family and is it is it growing dull? Is it growing disconnected from the heart of God? Is it becoming a task for you? Then get to work. Run towards brokenness in your home, run towards brokenness in your neighborhood, run towards brokenness in your city and you will find reason to pray again. Are you growing weary in your work? <laughs> As you serve, as you love, as you give, are your hands growing tired? Is the hope that used to burn bright in your heart growing dim? Then run to the Lord in prayer. Run back to the cross of Calvary to be replenished, to be strengthened, and to be given hope again. You see, if our prayer life is struggling, that's a call to work. And if our work is growing weary, that's a call to pray because both produces the other. As we work, we should be praying, and as we pray, we should work. Where did I get this from? Here, verse 20. Nehemiah says, whenever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us, our God will fight for us. So if God is going to fight for us in the way that we might understand this, why are they carrying swords? If God is going to do the work, why are all his builders armed to the teeth? Because the way God answers our prayers is through the work of his people. Nehemiah wasn't praying that God would do for them what they should do for themselves. No, he was saying, God, fight for us by fighting through us. And that's the relationship. So for those who are saying this is a season of prayer, That the only answer right now is for us to go to the Lord in prayer. Only he can restore our church and only he can heal our nation. I would say, yes, that's true. But the part that we're missing is how does he do that? How does God answer that prayer to restore? How does God answer that prayer to bring back to life, to bring to repentance? He answers those prayers through the work of his people. Through us trusting in God's power and God's provision. Hear the words of James chapter 2 in the New Testament. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. You you work and I'll pray. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one good, even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Faith without works is useless. When we see someone in need and we just pray for them and yet we don't give to them, the Bible is saying that faith is dead. When we see an opportunity to do that which God calls us to do, and yet we shift responsibility to God to do, that's not holy. That's not righteous. That's not faithful. That's disobedience. When we pray for God to do, we should also be praying, looking for our role and our responsibility to do. We can't do it all. We can't do everything, but our prayers should always produce action. Prayers should always produce action. That is how we believe that God is going to do what he says. There are some unbelievers in my family and in my life that I'm praying for that they would get saved and come to know Jesus Christ. Should I just wait for God to supernaturally intervene in their life? He could, and he has before. Or should I, with boldness, have an awkward conversation about Jesus yet again? Trusting that God is going to answer the prayer that I prayed through me or through someone else, but it leads to action nonetheless. In this season of life, y'all, we are called to both pray and act, not as two separate activities, but as rhythms of the Christian life. As we pray, we derive strength to act. And as we act, we are driven back to the cross in need of prayer. Two quick applications here. Nehemiah chapter four, verse 23 says this. And I, my brothers, my servants, and the men of the guard with me, never took off their clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when washing. Now, some of the folks who've been in the military, this may sound a little bit familiar, When you're in a base in hostile territory, there are levels of alertness. And in the highest level of alertness while you're deployed overseas, you can never take your weapon off your body. It must always be within arm's distance because the threat is so high because we are in a foreign territory. And this is the picture that Nehemiah is painting. Although he's in Jerusalem, the holy city, he realized that this is foreign territory. We must have our weapon on us at all times, even while washing. That's a reminder for us, church, that we are kingdom citizens, y'all. This is not our home. We rebuild the walls. We seek to restore that which is broken. We run towards brokenness. But this is not our home. We are kingdom citizens. We are in hostile territory. And although the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are still mighty. This is a reminder that we are ambassadors representing a foreign kingdom while we live in a hostile land. And everything that we do and say should point to that true king, Jesus. The other application, not only that we are kingdom citizens, but verse 21 says this, so we continue the work, while half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. This is, this hit me hard, y'all. What Nehemiah didn't do is he did not stop the work. He did not stop the work, even though the threat of death was there, the, the threat of persecution was there. He did not stop the work. I know many of us are waiting for life to get back to normal before we get back to Christianity again. Don't stop the work just because things are uncertain. Don't stop the work just because things are unclear, just because things are a little dangerous. Don't stop the work. Even brothers and sisters, pastor friends of mine, they're all wrestling with this reality of, okay, once we get back, then we will continue to reach the lost and serve the city. Once things get back to normal, then we'll begin to make and mobilize disciples. Don't stop the work. God has called us to run towards brokenness, to repair the breach in the wall. No matter what the circumstances may be, we should not stop the work. Why? Because our God will fight for us. Our God is there with us. I want to close with this. Some of us are thinking right now, we don't have the strength to build. We hear this idea about running towards brokenness. We hear this idea about praying and doing and prayer and action. And we feel like our strength has gone dry. We've given all that we had and we have nothing left. Let the words of Isaiah 40 comfort your hearts. It says, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the hands of the powerless. Youth may become faint and weary and young men may stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not become weary. They will walk and will not faint. This is the promise that God will meet us in our moments of prayer, moments of communing with him. He will meet us to strengthen us. There's still work for us to do. And when we run out of gas, the Lord is saying, come back, come back to me. Because he will give you strength that even when you feel like you can't crawl, the Lord says you can run and not grow weary. Even though you feel stuck, the Lord says you will walk and not faint. The Lord says, if you trust me, I will renew your strength so that we can get back to work. What is that work, church, as I end? That work is first and foremost, making and mobilizing disciples. Living surrendered lives to the Lord, abiding in him, belonging to community and committing to the mission. That is the work. Even if we can't gather here on a Sunday morning, Sunday morning church is not the work, y'all. It's a tool that the Lord gives and then seasons will take away. The work can be done as individuals scattered and gathered around the city, praying for one another, serving one another, engaging brokenness and lostness, wherever we may find it, as God's family on mission, that is the work that God has called us to do. And although seasons may change, the command to rebuild the wall has not. Would you pray with me now? Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do strengthen the hands of those who are growing weary. That connected to you, we will run and not grow faint. We will walk and not grow weary. That we will mount up with wings of eagles, Father God. Not because we are smart enough or strong enough, but because we trust you. We rely on you. God, would you meet us in this moment? Would you help our prayer to drive us to action? And would you help our actions to drive us back to prayer? And would that be the rhythm of our lives as we seek to restore that which is broken in our own lives, in our own neighborhoods, in our own cities? God, would you do that in us and through us? In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.